Introduce yourself for me. I'm Mark Dean, uh, Magic Swarm Runners. Magic Swarm Runners. Mark, how'd you get into this? Uh, I got into it late 80s. Uh, I had some pretty bad dogs um, <laughs> when I was a kid, and my parents decided that the, the bad dogs were going to move on, uh, meaning that I'd come home from school one day and they'd just basically be gone, uh, which is kind of how things happened when we were kids. You know, yep, so they became yep. a problem, came home, you're like, where'd the dog go? Well, of course, being a dog person, I was attached to the dogs. And I told my parents, there's got to be some way, you know, to make the dogs better, do something somehow, somewhere. So I was watching Good Morning America one morning, and they had this Doberman that came into this obedience routine. That was, I think I remember that episode, because everything that came on online or TV back then had anything in relation to dogs, I had to find it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I watched this whole obedience routine, never knew that dogs could even do that. You know, we always had the house dogs. You just basically fed them, you pet them, they did whatever they want, they were, they were wild ways. Yeah. So... I convinced my parents to take me to this dog training center. We lived in Orlando at the time, so there was a lot of dog training sure. around. So I took this Cocker Spaniel and this complete pet Weimaraner that I had, and we went and we did dog training to make them better. And through doing that dog training, I was able to find a group of people that actually competed in AKC-level sports. Oh, sure, okay. So um, I had a Cocker Spaniel that was doing pretty well. My Weimaraner, she had too many issues to really compete. You know, she was just, she had every Weimaraner course. She was destructive in the house, she didn't like being in a crate, she uh, had separation, she had all the things. My Cocker Spaniel was a thousand times better of a dog and was able to do obedience and compete in obedience uh, successfully, Okay. Um, whereas my Weimaraner was not, but I loved the Weimaraners. Why? Um, what was your draw? I, well, you know, I'd, ha I'd had them since I was a little kid. Okay. You know, so first dog I ever remember having was a Weimaraner, total pet Weimaraner once again. I mean, I think my parents probably paid $50 for it, we picked it up out of a sawdust, um, you, you know, bin. They said, pick whichever one you want. Came home, took it home. It was another dog that just kind of tortured us. So they, they just always, like, kept appearing in my life. <laughs> um, and so when I got into the actual dog sport of things uh, and when competed in obedience and got to see some of the other breeds, well, of course, I kind of gravitated back around to the Weimaraners. And so I found those, and I developed a relationship with this gal named Marlene Judd from Moonshine Weimaraners. Uh, early 90s, 91, 92-ish, okay. um, somewhere in there. And through these people that I dog trained with at 3J Dog Training when I was a kid. And they kind of helped me make these introductions. And they were all golden people. I mean, everyone was oh, golden okay. people. And they had a flat coat. And they were really good, but they had so much hair. And, yeah, I knew my parents were like, I'm like, yeah, they're nice dogs. But all that hair was never going to fly in Florida. We just, we'd have tumbleweeds everywhere. So uh, I went and I made this connection uh, with this gal, Marlene Judd, and helped out with dogs. And did some, some of the stuff that, like, junior handlers do nowadays, uh, you know, with the individual breeder. And, of course, at that time, there were a lot of actual breeders who bred, owned, and showed their own sure, dogs sure. compared to, like, you know, a lot of handlers that we see today. So, I don't know if I convinced her or she convinced me, who convinced who, to get a show dog. And so, I got that show dog in 1992, and her name was Magic, and I have Magic's Weimaraners. That's why, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been... I've been in dogs, um, took a, we took a pause or a breather when our kids were like, you know, really active in sports and things, and then once that was kind of tailoring off, we kind of got back into it, and so all of my guys um, are out of that same dog magic, my very first Weimar, my first show Weimar that I had uh, back in 92. So my podcast is Tell Two Friends, and I try to take the positive things that, that dog people do, so what do you do in your day-to-day -day life, what, what kind of work do you do? Uh, I, I own my own anesthesia business, so okay. I... I you know, basically go from surgery centers, hospitals, um, wherever anesthesia is needed, and, and fill those spots for them. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's what's the unique side about the dog world is it encompasses so many different industries. A person walks up ringside, 
and they have no clue of all the people that are standing next to them and the Absolutely. things that they do, which makes it fun. So you ever hunted with any of your dogs or anything? Uh, I do. I actually, I hunt with them in the fall. Um, I have several of them that have hunting titles, uh, AKC or Weimar Club of America titles. Um, but I do, I go out and I hunt pheasants and look forward to pheasant season again this year. Uh, so, you know, they all do something well. That is the one thing that I've learned over the years is, I think I, when I was younger, I'd get caught up that I wanted to be a show dog to be a show dog and then do high level of obedience and, and all of these certain things. And I found that no matter what dog I have, it does something. Something well. well. And all the others, it will do it, but sometimes it just doesn't do it as well as something else. Exactly. I mean, some of them are just more naturally inclined to do agility. Some of them are just naturally more obedient. Yeah. Some of them are just... So they're not all the same. 100% not the same. Yeah, you, you watched me walk in the ring with a dog that you saw in Duluth that wanted to do the fish hook and saw yes. The, the, yes. the work that's gone into her. So now that she moves straight, now I've got to take a little bit of weight off her. But, but it's always something when you work with your dog. So... What kind of regiment do you have when you do for training, or do you have a regiment? Uh, well, I mean, or you, you place a dog, it comes back into your house, so, and then you show it. I mean, give me a little bit of yeah. how you do so, it. So both of those things happen. So when I have a litter, depending on uh, what the litter may be and, and what it is that I'm looking for, uh, and when we have the litter, you know, we evaluate them just like anybody else. Um, you know, Weimaras, I mean, we're, we're blessed with the fact that they don't have hair, so you can see the structure just as easily as you can feel it. And so as they're growing up, starting about that five weeks period you kind of start putting them on the table and figuring out kind of who's who maybe in that group realizing that you're gonna have a ton of change still in that next three or four weeks and then start looking at the attitudes because obviously it's a dog show yep and when you do high level obedience you do high level agility you need a dog that's a little more resilient than yep. you know the couch cushion um so we try to do a lot of things to help facilitate our litters and those puppies to be very resilient we've done things like Abadog. Um, in the past where we you know, raise the puppies in a certain way and we follow uh, a very strict nutrition regimen for sure. the parents and the puppies and, and all those things. And then so if I'm looking for you know a dog or a bitch or whatever it may be, we really start looking at that structure piece right around that six and a half weeks to eight weeks. And that's how we start piecing them apart and then trying to put that puzzle together in our mind what we think that dog is going to be at two, at three, at four. So, so with, with history and projection, it allows you to do because I evaluate a lot of litters, and I tell people all the time, that dog's going to make it, and after they waste five years of their money, they, the dog doesn't make it, I'm like, I told you that one was a puppy. Mm-hmm. A lot of that education happens standing next to the ring. I was watching, we were talking briefly outside the ring, and both and I, you and I were looking at a dog's physical structure as moving on at a terrible top line. Mm-hmm. What, what is a, uh, uh, some of the attributes that you look at from front end to rear end that are important in a Weimaraner? So I'd be much more forgiving of a poor rear end than I would a front assembly. I mean, a front assembly has so many moving parts. Are they staring at you? <laughs> I love you staring at um, So that, that front end assembly has so many moving parts. It, it's a much harder piece to get. It's a much harder piece to keep. Yeah. Um, compared and you to can lose assembly. it in a quick you can in, lose it fast. In, in so, generation, yeah. um, so I do a lot of line breeding. So I, I try to find dogs that are you know, related to my dogs, bring those in and kind of tighten them up so that hopefully those shoulders and those uh, you know great rears and the nice top lines of the necks and uh, start reappearing generation after generation. Yeah, you've always heard me say, I don't worry about anybody else when they come to the ring, but I do worry about when you bring your dogs. Not only do you positively type the ring, but you've always had some good dogs I've had to compete against. And to be honest with you, that's fun for me. Well, that's good. fun when a good guy brings a, and he's got good hands, brings a dog to the ring. I know the judge is going to pick wherever they pick. Or right. point at. Right. But my job is to try to beat who's ever there. I really don't care who's whoever walks up in the ring. 
but I enjoy when you walk up in the ring because it's always fun competition. You know, it's, oh, you won today, I win tomorrow. It, it, it's not a personal thing when somebody loses. Yeah, I don't take anything personally. I mean, I show the dogs to the best of my ability, yeah. whatever that may be on the day. And uh, thank you again for showing the dogs that I had to have you handle and, today, which is, you did wonderful. He's, he's a softie. He's and, a love dog. As you did with mine yesterday. Yeah. It's, a, it's important, you know, to keep that. My focus is on my breeding program, and yeah. I what I I deem the Weimaraner, you know, my Weimaraner is compared to that Weimaraner standard. Sure, sure. And so my vision may not be what the judge's vision, and the judge's vision may be completely different from my, what my vision is. But this is my this is my sole breed. Sure. I mean, this is all I do. It's all I have. Yeah. It's all I study. It's I, I don't have I don't venture out in the cocker spaniel land like I had when I was a kid. I don't I do the I am singularly focused in, in watching Weimaraners. And watching Weimaraners from everywhere. So see, that's why I wanted to do this interview because I'm an all-breed handler, and I wanted to be the most knowledgeable dog person on the planet. So in interviewing you and finding the information out, I I sit there and I listen and pick your brain for my own personal knowledge. It's not for exact information. It's to it's to uh, thank you. It's it's to bring me a check. <laughs> it's, right, it's right in that pocket too. I don't, I don't know who you are or where you're at, but it's it right there. This dog show and stuff's not free. <laughs> the, the fun side of life, right. you know. But so, in order for me to learn, I find too many people trying to be a know-it-all. Okay, I know a lot. Whenever I walk up to the ring and I have a person that's been in the in the world as long as you have, I pretend like I know nothing. Every <laughs> single time, I'm like, I'm dumb. You know, you look at me, why are you asking me a question like that? Because I want to understand your answer. Right. I may have my own answer, but I want to understand your answer and your presentation of the answer. So that's another reason why I wanted to interview you, because my audience does not understand. I mean, I have a lot of non-dog show people in my audience. Sure. And they don't understand the work that goes in, the knowledge behind the dog, and they say, what is an AKC? Well, this dog is AKC, which means it's a diminished statement now. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't understand reading a pedigree. They don't understand hunting a dog. They don't understand the combination of both. They don't understand structure. You know, they get they've been doodle scienced, which right. diminishes the education because the good breeders, the good education institutions, we work from hearsay and referrals from the majority of our our existence. Well, the world's gone digital, so the non-knowledgeable individual that's marketing digitally has digitally marketed more than the purebred breeder. I, I agree. So, I mean, I have a website, and I, I would say I put five hours into it a month if I'm lucky. Yeah. Whereas maybe the backyard breeder has a thousand pictures, a so, thousand yep. things, litters of puppies all they, the time. They're stealing pictures from places. Yes. They, 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 not, you know, a lot of it's not real. So, in doing this podcast, hopefully I'll educate a few along the way. Because I had a gentleman tell me recently that Weimaraners wouldn't make good detector dogs. I said, you just have not been around good wines. Right. Right. I said, because the, the wines that you've been exposed to, the, the individuals don't even know what their pedigree is. I said, I can, and I said this, I can put you in contact with a dog, guy who has dogs that his washed out hunting dogs would make better detector dogs than what you have. Mm. He goes, really? I'm like, I've never seen a good one. I'm like, right. You've never seen a good wine. Right. Because it's not a, a overpopulated, overbred dog. Right. Right. Yeah. So what makes you still have fun in the, in the industry? Uh, yeah, I love it. You know, I don't listen to the nonsense, yeah. you know, outside of, you know, the outside voices. I could, I'm, I'm the kind of guy I could really care less. <laughs> right, right, um, right. Uh, to me, uh, you know, an opinion is just that. It's the, it's the least. Because you're a working man. You have your own business. Yeah. You, you understand this comes and goes. Yeah. So, I mean, 
there are great dogs. There are a lot of mediocre dogs. There are a lot of other things. Probably my biggest piece of advice that I give to anybody who's listening to this, no matter what breed it is that they're interested or they currently want to go see or think about, is go to a dog show. Yeah. Find the breed. Watch the dogs long enough that you develop an eye for the breed that you're actually watching. Yeah. Don't get caught in just the flash of the day and, you know, things. And then put your hands on the dogs. Meet the dog's parents if you can. Have, have a breed. If you already have that dog and you're looking to breed that dog and you think you want to breed to a dog that you've seen a really nice picture of, please, God, go out and see that dog. Watch it move. Watch the things that it does. Watch its temperament. You know, do, do all the important things. Like you said, instead of getting caught up in the media situation of it and just seeing things online, go, go do the, the groundwork and put your hands on these dogs and see them and pet them and talk to their people. Red flags. When they say, well, we don't show our dogs, as, you know, that's a red flag. When they say, well, we don't hunt our dogs because we don't want them to get injured, red flag. When we, they say, well, I don't have my paperwork, red flag. Or my pedigree is X, Y, Z, and they don't have the true pedigree, right. red flags. You know, So right. there's more to it than in the understanding than just I'm buying a dog that somebody says it's an AKC animal. Right, and, and I think there's importance in, in all facets of the AKC and different organizations, so like, like NOPT or the Weimar Club America where we have... Uh, you know, ratings tests. Sure. So I think, you know, I'll get people that will come to me, and if they show up and they say, hey, this is uh, this is my Weimaraner, Betsy. Uh, she's from so-and-so's lines, and Betsy has no titles. And I say, well, you know, why doesn't Betsy have any titles? Well, I plan on doing it with the puppy. Well, there's nothing wrong with Betsy. Right. I mean, if you haven't gone to a dog CGC. Betsy, CGC. Trick dog. Trick dog. Hunt test. Hunt I mean, test. Anything. I mean, there, there's a whole lot of just a general... Uh, Junior hunt. Yes. Just showing aptitude. So there are plenty of people out there just having litters to have litters. Yeah. I'm looking for people that want to grow the Weimaraner community. Um, you don't want to make it more inclusive, want to have better dogs. You want to test our dogs. Yeah, but how do you tell a person what a better dog is? Because they, they get so mentally caught up emotionally on what they have. Yes. And you look at it and you go, I want to say to this person, your dog has a terrible top line. That's why it's not winning. You say that to that individual? I do if it's my dog, and you, right, 100%. But, but if it's somebody else, like I'm an Albert handler, if I say that to them, it's like I'd, I'd just chop their knees off. Yeah, um, you know what? But I, I, but I say it regularly. I, I think you realize when you're in dogs, if you don't have a thick skin, life's going to be really hard. Right. Uh, you know, and, and you've got to step back from your own dogs and take a look and see what it take is. Take inventory. Yes, exactly. I mean, just so yesterday, for example, when you took my little male puppy around, and I actually got to see him moving free of me at the end of the leash, yeah. which is kind of hard thing. And I look back and I go, oh, he's gorgeous. Yeah. You know, I mean, his, his movement is just, just beautiful. He's gorgeous. But I, I can't did the see same, that when I'm right on top I of him. I did the same thing with Carmel. I'm like, yep, I love the flow. Mm-hmm. A little bit too much hair he's carrying. You know, I could see what I right. need to do. You know, yeah, I do the same thing. So um, I think those things are important. But like I would tell anybody who's new, if your dog has a deficit, try to find a dog in that pedigree. If you're going to breed it, you know, if your goal is to breed it and potentially you know, Find a dog in that pedigree that's line riding, that has all the strengths of what you want. You have a better chance of reproducing that sure. piece than if you say, hey, I want the hot new thing over here that looks really flashy, but its parentage is completely different from your dog. Yeah. Um, and unless you unless you do a lot of study and know what you're doing when you step into that world. And most people aren't there, No. Um, to be honest. And then, you know, a big part of that is you have to be a good puppy chooser. If you're not a good puppy chooser, you're dead in the water to begin with. Because yeah. you could have the best puppy in the world, and it just keeps going to another home and another home and another home. And part of that is your vision. Part of that is realistically evaluating puppies for, you know, head, neck, shoulders, rear. Yeah. And then evaluating puppies and saying, is it one good enough to keep? 
because sometimes there may not be. Yeah. And you need to go and, ahead and, just and you have to say that to that. You, that all is not good enough to keep. Yes. And sometimes it's really hard for people to do. It, it truly is because they become really invested in what they've read. Yeah. And you have something in your mind that you think is going to happen. You have something on paper that you think is going to happen. And sometimes it, it just doesn't turn out the way you think. Yeah. And don't don't be afraid to start from scratch. Try something different. Um, I always tell people, especially with wire runners, you know, we, everybody will say we have really strong bitches in our breed, and you know the dogs are trying to catch up. I'm not a true believer of that. I'm a, I'm a true believer of that. All these beautiful bitches have beautiful brothers yeah. that are just sitting at home on a couch somewhere because they, they can't life. see it. I had a years ago, um, I don't know, late '80s. A, a client brought to me a 13-year-old wine. It was a hole in the pedigree, and they said, "Could you finish him?" I'm like. Well, let's move him. He's 13. Mm-hmm. He moved great. Beautiful animal. Okay? So we did make a long story short, we finished him. The last day we were in the ring, he's sitting there sleeping, and all he had to do, he needed a major. <laughs> the judge walks up and says, is that dog sleeping? I'm like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I usually move slow when we go to do the down and back, so when I startle and wake him up, he's not too startled. But that goes to show, one of the, it was one of those dogs, he had put his master t- titles on it, he had run it in the field. He hunted it, but they kept. He was si- proven. He just wasn't a champion. Yeah, he, they kept looking at him, going, you know, well, he's never going to be a show dog. Right. Oh, when he came out as a show dog at that age, he he didn't get defeated not mm. one time at thirteen. Right. So it's one. It's exactly what you're saying. People look at him and go, well, you know, but he's in the field. Yep. He's got the great chest. Yep. He's got great movement, great side gate, and at thirteen, even sleeping. He didn't sag in a stoplight. Right, right. So. And those are hard things to get. And when you understand your line, if you have uh, you know, everyone, you know, have dogs that are going to mature on the younger side. Yeah. They can be a lot ready to go. You have some that maybe you can show as a puppy and then they need to be put up for a little while and they reappear at 18 months, two years, whatever, and they're like rip or ready to go. Everything has a maturation point where it kind of like takes off and becomes a little bit more of a level playing field. So that's my lieutenant five, Dan. Six year old. No, no. Like, my lieutenant Dan will be 15 when he. His brain levels out <laughs> the rest of his body. Um, but, yeah. Well, thank you, Mark. Absolutely. Say, you, say your uh, kennel name again. Magic Swarm Runners. And if a person wanted to get a hold of your website, well, how would they do this? Uh, www.magicswarmrunners.com. Perfect. Or contact information's on there. Perfect. Thank